The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, congratulations, everybody. You've made it to Friday, so you get a rosette for that. But this is Squawk Box with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Well, how interesting. Tesla appears to increase U.S. prices for its Model S and Model X cars. Now, that might confuse some of you and me because shares in the EV maker, yes, they slumped almost 10% in the Wall Street session as investors scrutinized margins. Let's stay in the auto sector, Mercedes-Benz posting a 15% quarter return on net sales as the luxury car maker says it's seeing healthy net pricing and strong sales in preliminary results. In terms of the markets, Asian markets are trading firmly in the red this hour. Bond yields have edged lower as a series of weak corporate earnings and economic data reports from the United States renew worries about a looming recession. French Trade Minister Olivier Brecht tells CNBC the country is returning to business as usual, but unrest simmers as demonstrators target the Euronex stock exchange in Paris. There is some people who are not very happy here. Uh, to work two years more, but uh, now we wanted to appease uh, the country and uh, we wanted uh, to attract more uh, companies uh, for uh, choosing France. week on the earnings front for some of the corporates in Europe and this morning uh, we kick off with numbers rolling through from SAP. Uh, this is the big German company reports numbers and right up front and centre cloud revenue. The market thought well perhaps we might see some slowing in this area of the business given the tech slowdown. That is simply not the case. Uh, expectations were that you could see that revenue slow to about 19% but what we've got uh, cloud revenue up 24% and up 22% at constant currencies up one percentage point sequentially. The S4 HANA cloud revenue up 77% and uh, 75 at constant currencies. The current cloud backlog that is up 25% at nominal and constant currencies. The IFRS uh, cloud gross product up 28%, non-IFRS cloud gross product uh, profit rather up 28%. In terms of the IFRS operating profit that is down 45%, the 2023 outlook updated to reflect the expected Qualtrics divestment. Don't forget this was a spin off the sale of that business. SAP reaffirms the outlook for continuing operations, including anticipated acceleration of top line and operating profit growth. In terms of the revenue line for the first quarter, 7.44 billion versus an estimate, a lower estimate of 7.34. So beating on that line. The company is saying that they should uh, with the wind down of their business operations in Russia and Belarus is almost complete. Also talking about uh, the adjustment for cloud revenue and operating profit based on the Qualtrics outlook for 2023 as published uh, prior to that. So I think what we're seeing is that uh, the cloud is still holding up at this point. The businesses, despite challenging environments, still spending on the cloud at this stage. Uh, one of the, the offerings from uh, cloud uh, services over at SAP seem to be putting the company out in front in terms of some of the industry trends. Uh, what's interesting, I think, when you, when you push into the numbers, I mean, obviously what, what's going on here is the conversion away from license revenue to 
subscriber revenue and um, SaaS effectively. And um, software license revenue fell by 13%. Um, cloud and software revenue up 10%. So service revenue also up here, which suggests that that conversion uh, continues apace. Um, just interesting to know what the enterprise spend looks like these days. Yeah, of course. And uh, we've got Christian Klein joining us a little bit later on. Uh, the CEO uh, later this hour will be on to talk about the numbers. So don't miss that interview at 7.40 CET. Uh, Tesla. So Steve was talking about some of these price movements. Tesla has appeared to raise prices of both versions of the Model S and the X cars in the US by between 2 and 3%, according to the company's website. <coughs> Shares in the EV maker falling heavily yesterday after CEO Elon Musk doubled down on the company's previous cost cuts to focus on sales growth. Well, ARK Invest founder Kathy Wood told CNBC she believes Tesla shares could hit more than $2,000 in five years on the back of the company's robo-taxi ambitions. The price target for our stock, and I think it's just hitting now, uh, for 2027, because we do have a five-year uh, investment time horizon, is uh, our expected value is roughly uh, $2,000, and that's within a range of $1,400 to $2,500, our bear and, uh, and bull case. Right, uh, yeah, let's move on to Mercedes-Benz, which has pre-released its first quarter results, uh, reporting a group adjusted return on sales of 14.8%. That was above expectations, but below the 16.4% it achieved in the same period last year. Earnings before interest and tax rose to 5.5 billion euros, whilst free cash flow came in at 2.2 billion. What a little treat we have for us around the day. Yeah, absolutely. Chris Watling is here, the CEO and founder of Longview Economics. Chris, very good morning to you. Morning. Morning. Um, let, let's go macro. Uh, so yesterday, the markets looked a little bit wobbly on the back of some of the numbers coming through here. It, it's still this whole discussion as to whether we are having a recession, when the recession starts, how deep will the recession be. Just update us on your view. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's coming. We just get impatient waiting for it, don't we? But I thought yesterday's data was, was pretty compelling. Um, and we forget that the normal time from an inversion of the yield curve, which was roughly the middle of last year, to a recession is 12 months plus. And yes, but yesterday's leading indicator is really brutally bad, minus 1.2% month on month, uh, down 7 and a bit percent year on year. Every time you've had that in, in, in the US, you've had a recession. So I think, I mean, it's coming, it's, it's on its way, it's just a timing issue. So, so, sorry, how prepared is the market for this then? Because I think that's Jeff's question, isn't it? If, if not prepared, then it could be brutal, yeah? Yeah, I mean, the market getting prepared. I mean, markets always sort of deal with the one debate in front of them. Um, <laughs> I mean, they don't, they don't look sort of three years ahead and two years ahead or even 12 months ahead. And, and I think what, we, what we've had in the last few weeks is really a response to the liquidity that came into the market on the back of the banking crisis, $400 billion, an expansion of the Fed's balance sheet, a slowing of QT for a few weeks, and, um, and, uh, and therefore supporting equity markets as, as we've seen. But it's been a very narrow rally. There's not been a lot of stocks driving it. I think you make an interesting point there because what we do know is that the market is not the economy and the economy is not the market and sometimes they appear to head off in different directions. But the conclusion, I think, from the bears has been that there will be a reckoning. The reckoning has just been postponed so far. 
how does that match up with your analysis of what ultimately we might see with profit margins, earning expectations, and the likelihood that actually equity markets can come through this relatively unscathed? I mean, they won't come through it unscathed in our opinion. I mean, the reality is... <laughs> I'm not even sure about relatively, but, uh, but um, I mean, the reality is if you look at profit margins, they went to record highs in 2021 um, and, and a bit of 2022. And of course, when you have a lot of inflation around, you can get very good operating leverage. So you can get record high profit margins. So, you know, when you get into a session, we've got to do a double hit on margins. You've got to normalize them back to normal levels and then you've got to price in a recession. So I think the, the, the expectations for earnings are way too optimistic. And therefore, the, the stock market will have to contend with that at some point. There are warning signals out there in terms of market positioning for some sort of a, a lightening up on exposures. And you can see it in the transportation stocks, small cap as well. How much more is to come in terms of repositioning? In terms of repositioning, I, I mean, I think people, you know, you can, look at, you can look at lots of things. If you look at sort of retail holdings of cash, uh, there's a couple of indicators out there in the States. AAII give you one of them. They're, they're nowhere near where they would be at a typical bear market low. In fact, they're, they're not even halfway to where they should be. Um, and, you know, investors say they're pessimistic, and in some ways they are. And you know, look at the Merrill Lynch Fund Manager's survey. Uh, but I don't think they're properly bearish. When you get proper bear markets, you end up with despair. You know, people are throwing their hands up in the air. They don't want to ever own equities again. We're, we're, we're certainly nowhere near that. The problem is that some of the earnings are holding up in areas of the economy where they shouldn't typically be at this point in the cycle. I mean, just picking through some of our own data, if the consumer is going to be entering a period of difficulty with money being put aside by banks, then surely consumers will start to feel the pinch Main Street. But if you look at the earnings for the first quarter, consumer discretionary, consumer staples, actually OK. That has to change at some point, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, and unemployment rates have to change as well. It's the same kind of part of the equation. I suspect a lot of it is just cash in banks that's being run down. As we know, it takes a while to happen, all that cash from the pandemic. But it is happening and, and it, it'll, it'll, it will happen. And unemployment is one of the last things to go as you go into a recession. And, but just look at jobless claims. They're, they're trending up. So I think that's coming. Um, so, so let's go back to... See, the problem is, I mean, there's, there's two things going on here, and you always brilliantly in your notes, and by the way, I really enjoy reading your notes and from your oil chap as well and all that, but, and maybe we'll come on to that in a few moments' time. But, but there's, there's what you should do longer term strategically and then what you should do tactically. And, yes. and, and so in the very short term, and I was looking at your last week's report, and it's like markets continue to move tactically higher as well. Yes. And again, so this is the, the deliciously difficult conundrum of the timing between the short term and the medium to long term thematic. So at the moment, yeah. you're not necessarily saying we should sell the market, are you? Yeah, it's my sort of Boris Johnson having cake and eating it <laughs> yeah, type you, moment. You've written two letters on Brexit <laughs> and you're not sure which one to do. That's right. No, I mean, no, well, that's true. I mean, markets have one to two trends that can be counter, counter trend rallies or against the main trend or with the main trend, if you like. So tactically, yeah, we're overweight. Strategically, where we're thinking longer term, we're, we're underweight equities. So, yeah. yeah, so that's what's going on. I mean, I think what happened in mid-March was people got very fearful into the banking crisis. We had a lot of... Uh, bearish positioning then we had a lot of liquidity come in 400 billion as i said and that pushed the market higher so because i noticed the rhetoric i don't know if you noticed every, for, the four of us yesterday that everyone's oh my god this is so bad this is happening and tesla's doing this and this and it's all like, and i was looking at the actual moves in the market it just yeah. didn't quite justify the headlines it's almost like there was a collective willing in the headline writing <laughs> to get the market down Let's just recap. The Dow was down 0.3 of 1% uh, for the week so far. 
The S&P is down a mighty 0.2 of 1% for the week so far. The FTSE yesterday was up 0.4 of 1%, despite the fact it's got a heavy oil um, um, preponderant or constituent, yeah. and yet oil was plummeting. Well, it, it just didn't quite, the fact didn't marry the headlines. No, that's right. And the S&P, if you look at it, it's been in a sort of 80 point range for most of April, 4,100 4, to 4,180. So that's a good point. Can we get the VIX up? Uh, because it's, it's been a bit of a yeah, bugbear. No, it probably ticked up a tiny bit yesterday from the lows, but we hit 16.1 our low in the last yeah. 48 hours. I mean, it's now a mighty 17, giving absolutely zero indicator that people are concerned. Again, back to your point. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's what we're doing. We're adjusting positioning, and that's tactically what we'll be doing, I think, through into April. And then at that, at that point, I suspect we'll be, we'll be tactically looking to go underweight. But it's, you know, it's all in the risk appetite models. That's, this fear and greed is the way to trade markets on a one- to two-month basis. Can I, can I ask you about um, commodities? Because what's been really notable is there's been a rally in the softs. There's been a rally in the PGM metals. Gold is higher. So it's industrial and it's precious. And some of that shouldn't be happening if we're going to have a slowdown in growth. And yet when you look at oil, oil has clearly been coming off as people worry about the slowdown in growth. So there's a little bit of confusion here, it seems, across the commodities complex about what signals it's sending with regard yeah. to the outlook on yes. growth going forward. Why is that happening? And do you think it's sending us any message at all about underlying inflation being stronger for longer. I think commodities are fascinating this year and they're doing exactly what they should be doing. So if you think about it, the, the, the outperformers are the precious metals, which is exactly what you'd expect when we're, we're coming towards a recession and starting to price in cuts further out in the curve. So gold, gold and silver is the place to be this year, although at the moment they're sort of topping out. There's a bit of a level in gold. Um, oil is, is a very US centric and it's, it's moving towards pricing in recession. Uh, we've had some more weakness yesterday. How could oil be US centric? Well, the, most of the, the biggest oil user in the world is the States. China. We've had a bit of a reopening bounce in China. My point is, if you want to look at, want to talk about copper, it's all about China. Yeah. If you want to talk about oil, it's much more global and much more about the States. It's, of course, China matters. Everywhere matters. But oil is much more focused on what's going on in the US. Copper and iron ore is all about China. That's why those two have bounced this year. But... but there was a drawdown in inventories in the States this week as well, and it still came. I mean, I, I was banging on about this, and a lot of people have got onto it, finally, the last couple of days. But I've been going on about this for the last you know, week or so. It's, it's the fact that the, 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 the premium that OPEC Plus have, have got now for this cut in production is, quite frankly, massively disappointing for the producers. And well, of course I, it, it got up I to mean, 87.49 as an intraday high. They've just lost, according to that print there, about six and a half bucks of that. So they've actually only gained, and I'm going to get you this exactly right now, $1.24 from where it was trading before. That's, that's the, nowhere near what they no, wanted. Because they're behind the curve. They're responding to the fact the global economy is slowing, and they're cutting in by looking in the rearview mirror. I mean, the point is the market's saying we're, we're heading towards a US Western recession. We need to price in a much lower oil price. Do you remember the days when we used to keep you for two hours as like a guest host? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? You said that with a, a, a yeah. resigned shrug. Well, we're kind of dabbling with that idea they, today. They, they, were the, they, were, they were my was, finest uh, time. That was my <laughs> taste. <laughs> but, but, but we are going to keep you for another conversation. Yeah, so we will do that. So Super. stay with us, Chris. Don't go away. Uh, Chris Watling, the CEO and founder of Longview Economics. I think you're tied to the desk with a microphone anyway, so you can't. Uh, coming up on the programme, uh, risk appetite takes a hit after softer US data, while tech stocks drag the Nasdaq lower. Plus, for more on Tesla and auto margins, check out the Squawk podcast.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Some weeks are just quieter than others. Uh, this week, a little bit like getting the housekeeping done, a few logistics, nothing really exciting in the diary. Markets looked a little bit like that to me with the sideways action we've seen. I, 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 I half, I was with you in terms of the reaction. Yes. I'm not with you in terms of what's going on. I think that you could give a list of, including the earnings season, especially the earnings season. Put it on the pulpit, put it on the rostrum. I think the earnings season is unbelievably fascinating. We've seen some huge swings around on a day by day on the stocks. Look at Tesla yesterday. Mm. And yet the market reaction, I would 100% agree with you. I don't know why the market is so placid. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, a lot of hard work if you think about all the fundamentals. I mean, housework is hard work. And I think that is what has been happening. You've seen a lot of raking over some of the, the bank reports in particular to see what uh, lies on some of those uh, maturity profiles and just what sort of provision is required. And the fundamentals and other, some the other big reporters as well. But that market reaction, we haven't really strayed too far from the flat line. Uh, even with the moves yesterday, eight tens down the Nasdaq, six tens down the S&P, and the Dow also reversing. But over the course of the week, we're down by less than a third of a percent on the Dow, for instance. In terms of some of the big moving stocks, I mean, Tesla was a headline. We've had price cuts, apparently some price increases at the higher end, concerns over margins in the stock. The reversal you saw 9.7%, levels we've not seen since late January. Investors looking at the gross margins here. Slippage still high by industry standards, but not what some of the, the industry analysts are used to. So reaction in the stock. AT&T, well, this was stunning. Shares down. First quarter results saw subscriber growth, but a miss on revenue. The stock was down about, as you can see, just over 10%, on track for the worst day since 2000. So so a couple of decades in terms of the price action that we saw. Free cash flow, the problem. We saw it come in at $1 billion. The market thought we'd see a much bigger build at $3.2 billion. So a huge wide miss on that free cash flow. So again, the fundamentals mattered here. When it came to American Express, AMX, we saw disappointing numbers here. The debt profile of customers provisioning for defaults, those not paying down credit cards. That was a concern even as customers spent up more in this space. You could see the stock ticking lower as well. So some negative earnings reactions. The week to date for the markets to a point about this go nowhere market, uh, despite all of the news that we're hearing around the earnings, the banks, and of course, uh, what comes next on monetary policy. We've barely moved uh, the biggest movement really on the, the tech area of the market, down half of a percent. And just worth noting, if you look at the various different sectors, it's not been a great week for the big fang stocks. They are down about 2.3% in contrast to the banks. And you've seen actually a rally in some of those banking names to the tune of uh, about uh, two and a quarter odd percent. Here's how it looks individually. You can see outpacing that industry average. Morgan Stanley up 4.2% and Wells Fargo, the place to be positioned as well. So some stocks moving more aggressively than others as we uh, just 
ponder some of the movements we've seen in deposits and what we're seeing in terms of execution at the individual banks. I want to take you to the earnings scorecard. This is an interesting one. How are we tracking so far for the first quarter? You can see that effectively earnings are down almost 5% versus same time a year ago. We've been talking about an earnings recession. You are seeing some slippage, but in terms of the bar that's been lowered, we are seeing a beat because of those low expectations coming into this earnings season. In terms of some of the beats, this is interesting. Despite challenges that we're seeing on inflation, cost of living crisis, that consumer is still holding up on earnings at least, consumer discretionary, consumer staple earnings, and industrials in particular were solid. Financials, you could even just slightly slot into that mix. This was undermined. If you're looking for weakness in earnings, materials, technology, and healthcare, three weak areas on the earnings front. Mix it over to revenue, still seeing an increase, not quite 2%, also slightly above expectations. When it comes to the revenue though, it was financials that did a lot of the heavy lifting, despite all the concerns we've had around a lot of the, the big banks. But the areas of weakness, materials, consumer staples as well, that's where some of the weakness has come through. What a fascinating summary. And I think what I would take from what you just said is it's a market of stocks rather than a stock market, because <laughs> you just showed graphically um, for want of a better term, the, term the, the, the big winging around of the financials compared with Tesla, compared with AT&T. Uh, and and yeah, the, the, the materials and the staples, fascinating moves beneath, but yet glacial pace at the market level. So again, uh, a, a great backing up of that adage, it's a market of stocks as well. I mean, look, it's been pretty glacial, let's be honest about it, in the treasuries as well. Yes, we're looking a lot at the inversion, the inversion nowhere near on the 210, uh, as aggressive as it was at one stage this year. But you've still got 412, and that's interesting, 412 on the two-year, because we did get up to 425. So again, just abating somewhat there, 350 uh, on the 10-year uh, note as well. So pretty glacial progress in the Treasury markets. Again, very little signal at a headline level. Let's have a look at the volatility. Now, Jeff got very excited about the VVIX earlier on as well, being up 3.6. We talked about this uh, earlier in the week. and. How can I explain this to you? So, so the VIX it, uh, around about 17, up off its lows as well. I mean, it, it is not signaling any grave concerns that you have about valuations at the moment. And I emphasize this a thousand times over the many decades I've been working here as well. The fact of the matter is the VIX is not a fear index. It is purely a measure of whether you are buying or selling premium in the market as a level of some form of protection. At the moment, 17 is indicating that there are more initiators of selling of that premium rather than buying. Because as we know, there is the same number of buyers and sellers. It's not true that there are more buyers and sellers or Vice versa. The VVIX is a measure of how aggressively that volatility is changing, okay? The Vega, if you want to go into your Greeks as well. And the fact is, because we've seen this aggressive move down in volatility as well over the last weeks or so, that is why the VVIX, the measure of how the volatility is moving, has gone up, all right? So it's like the second derivative, so to speak. Let's move on to the old price. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. We have talked about this a lot with Chris and Jeff and Karen already. Safe to say, I am fascinated at the filling in of the gap, the 8% plus hike we had in Asian trade after OPEC had increased the uh, or cut production uh, uh, on the 2nd of April. Then we gapped around about 8% in Asian. Now we've been slowly filling in that gap over the last few sessions. It's actually built up ahead of steam. If we fill it in down to 79.77 there or thereabouts, what does that mean for the power of OPEC 
and indeed the appetite in terms of demand as well. I think there's some big questions to be asked there, Karen. And let's roll across to the Asian board to the Friday session as uh, we looked around out the trading week and you can see it is fairly downbeat. Uh, we've got, actually got some percentage swings here, uh, one odd percent of the downside for Hong Kong and Chinese stocks. So some movement there, downbeat uh, through this trade, 220 down for the Hong Kong market. More modest in terms of the percentage moves elsewhere from Japan where the Tokyo stock market has been on a fairly upbeat trend of late. It's given back uh, near on 80 points or just over a quarter of one percent and a third off the Australian market. Opening calls here in Europe. Uh, we mentioned the lack of movement, also symbolic of what we witnessed this week here in Europe. But we are to the upside on a number of these markets, uh, about uh, four ten so far to the upside for the FTSE here for the trading week. We've also seen slight gains with the French market of about a quarter of a percent in contrast to uh, a lightening up of exposures on the Italian market that is down close to nine tenths of a percent. But this morning you can see again very slim ranges anticipated somewhat flat before the open. Jeff. Karen, thank you very much. Uh, Chris Watling is still with us, the CEO and founder of Longview Economics. Um, Chris, you were talking about the narrowness of the market earlier. There, there's been a view in some parts of the market that gr the growth stocks, the tech stocks, do represent some safety if we go into a severe economic slowdown. Now, we've kind of been scratching our head around that because obviously we know the implications of uh, higher cost of capital for these companies and what a growth slowdown would mean for many of these tech businesses. Yeah. But you hear the likes of Cathy Wood and others who are out there banging the drum for their positions in the technology sector. Well, what's your view about this narrowness we've seen and what the ability of these companies is to continue to do well? Yeah, I mean, I think the narrowness tells you that it's a bit of a shaky market. I mean, I wouldn't want to... It, it, it's not an expression of a good new bull market. It's, a, it's an expression of the liquidity that we see out there. And you're right. There's a whole theory that uh, as sort of uh, bond yields start coming off, tech can come back because it's a long-duration play on, on yields. And, and, you know, sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. And the reality is in every bear market, you change stock market leadership. And the old leadership never creates the new next bull market. It's always a, a change in sector leadership. So I, I, I think what we've just seen is a flurry of liquidity driving the likes of NVIDIA and Tesla up until yesterday and all these stocks higher. And, and really, they've been the cheerleaders of the last bull run. They're not going to be the cheerleaders of the next bull run. This is just a sort of classic mid-bear market um, sort of rally on hope and liquidity. There are different themes that drive the tech industry over time. And obviously the EV, the energy transition story has been huge for Tesla being one of the big disruptors in the space. You mentioned NVIDIA in the same breath, though. And this week, the, the story that jumped out to me was the double upgrade on the stock of uh, by HSBC on NVIDIA because of the AI story. I mean, we see this buzzword and we think, well, it's probably just a lot of industry hype, but it's actually genuinely moved one stock price. Is that a story, this AI buzz? Is it a story we need to be watching from NVIDIA to to Microsoft and beyond? Well, look, AI is exciting, there's no doubt about it. But I think what happens in, in markets is stocks go up and then people try and work out why. And that's often, I, th I think they were the last sell rating on NVIDIA to capitulate on the stock, I, I believe. I, I don't follow NVIDIA in detail. But I, what I do know is NVIDIA's PE ratio has doubled this year. So uh, has the world completely changed from NVIDIA in three months? Or is it just liquidity driving a stock higher and the story following it? And I suspect it's the latter rather than the former. So long and short, um, what should our viewers, I mean, you mentioned the uh, leading indicators, I think, yes, from yesterday as well. What is the key 
data or market point that we should be looking at our viewers in order to spot when this does turn as well, when we move from tactical longs to actually just, just get out of this stuff? And uh, Because I think that's the direction of travel you're saying. Yeah, there's yeah, some yeah. small opportunities upside, but then there's a reckoning as well. What should they be looking at for the timing of that? Well, the reality is they should be looking at our models, but um, they'd have to pay for that. <laughs> so, is that the long view so. economic sailing point? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm just telling you what I'll be looking at. So, right, so um, the key I mean, the data points that you put in, It's about fear and greed. So when the market yeah. gets a little bit greedy on, on, on these metrics, then... But how do we you, know if the market's not greedy already? Well, that's what the models tell you. That's the whole point. Um, so I'm, I'm not being obtuse. I mean, that's, 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 that's the interesting way of thinking about markets in the short term, fear and greed and, and measurements of that. Um, I mean, put it this way. The VIX is not a great way to trade the market, but it's telling you complacency is growing. I don't think we're done yet on that. Uh, look at a put-to-call ratio. Everyone can, can put together their own put-to-call ratio. Uh, I construct a sort of um, a medium-term one of those. We have one of those. That's a good indicator. In terms well, of macro, well, look... It's the, not really, is it? Is it? People who buy puts suddenly realise that the market's going down. They don't well, buy no, puts it tells before. you about complacency. Oh, I see. That's okay. what I mean. When so, there's so a so lack there is, of put okay. protection in ah, the market, brilliant, brilliant. it's, a, it's a confirmation of the VIX. So that's my point. It's not that everyone's buying puts, therefore it's going to go down. Brilliant. It's more no one's buying puts, we are so on the therefore page. everyone's exposed to the downside. How's that, that one looking? What? The, the call put ratio, how's it looking? The, the put to call ratio, put call, it's mid-range on a medium term view, basically. So it's not there. It's not, and when I say medium term, I'm talking month by month. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I, I look at that kind of stuff, which isn't what the answer you wanted. The macro data is fascinating, but it tells you about the longer term trend. You can't trade with it. All you can do is you can look at macro data, it's worse than expected, the market went up. That, that's what it, t it tells about positioning, the way the market responds to what the macro data did relative to expectations, if that makes any sense. Yeah. We're done. You're, you've had enough of me. No, right. no, I have, you. I have you, you, said, you said you didn't want to stay for three hours, you gave us that look. I was kidding. I know, I'd love, I'm, I'm, no, I've got to have a bacon sandwich, so thank you. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.